Okay, hello everyone. If you want to be turning to Acts chapter 14, that's where we're going to be looking today. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to read from verse 8. We're going to carry on with our series looking through the book of Acts. And that's where we've got to. We've got to uh, Paul and Barnabas heading on from Iconium uh, and arriving in Lystra. So in Acts 14, verse 8, we read this. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city, to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. And they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Okay, they've moved on from Iconium and they arrive at Lystra and we are presented with this pretty dramatic passage. We see, as always, they turn up in a place and they start preaching. Paul is talking to the crowd, but we see in the midst of this passage... Preaching, salvation, healing, miraculous escapes from death. And we see misplaced worship, which draws a very dramatic response from Paul and Barnabas. It's a passage that could cause us to ask some pretty big questions. Who is it that we serve? Whose glory are we seeking? 
Perhaps even where do we find hope and assurance? Well, today we're going to look through this passage and it's going to be as easy as ABC. And we might get to D at the end. It's just me not using point one, point two and point three. I'm just doing ABC today instead. But we're going to start with A. But could we start in this passage with an amazing miracle working God? This passage is bookended by two incredible miracles, which we could easily overlook. Because, you, because it's just stated so simply. But we see at the beginning of the passage, a man who has been lame from birth is healed right there on the spot. Is healed in an instant. And then at the end of the passage, Paul is stoned to the point where they think he's dead and drag him out of the city. And then we're told very simply, I love this, after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Paul escapes from death in, in an incredibly understated way. But this passage is bookended by these two incredible miracles where God breaks in and brings healing and brings recovery to Paul. But this is the first thing that we're introduced to into this passage. We're introduced to this man. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. And we hear that he's listening to Paul. And we hear that he has been lame since birth. He has never walked. And in the midst of Paul speaking, Paul looks out among the crowd. And think about this for a minute. Paul looks out in the crowd and sees this man and sees, discerns that this man has faith to be healed. Stop and think about that for a minute. Think of his situation. This man has never walked. This man has been lame since birth. We don't know how old he is. He sat in Lystra, hearing Paul come. And as Paul declares the truth of the Gospels, this man who has never walked, Paul can see you have faith to be healed. This God could heal me. This God could break into my life. We're told the wonderful truth in Romans chapter 10 about faith. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. He's talking about people not accepting the word. People who have... People, people, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Who's believed our message? Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. As Paul declares the message about Christ, you can see faith is in this man. He's got faith to be healed. The man who's never walked, he's never known what it is to stand on his own two feet, has faith to be healed in that moment. And we can think about the discernment that God's given Paul to see you. You've got faith to be healed. 
get up and walk. But we see the wonderful power of the gospel, the power of the word to bring faith and to bring healing. Ultimately, to bring salvation. But where we start today is we have an incredible, amazing, miracle-working God. This is who God is, the God who formed the universe from nothing. We can look through the word and see he's the God who parted the Red Sea so that his people could walk through on dry land. He's the God who, as he came, as his son Jesus turned water into wine, who fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. It's the God who shows Paul that a man who's never walked, who sat in the crowd, has faith to be healed. And he causes that man to get up and walk. And he's the God who's at work. He's at work as Paul spoke and as Paul was there in Lystra, healing the sick, saving the lost, and he is at work today. We have a miracle-working God who is at work in this world. It's a God who's at work right now. He's a God who can work miracles right now. He's a God who can transform lives in an instant and he can sustain people through years and years. I want to encourage you, even as we continue to hear from the words, do we believe this is the God who we come to? The God who can transform things in an instant, the God who can work with us, the God who is at work in and through all things. So we see an amazing miracle working God leads to a man being healed but that leads to us seeing B badly misplaced worship we see this wonderful healing and we've heard what's happened when Paul's preached before we've heard as Paul and Barnabas have gone around they've had a bit of a divided reaction that's fair to say some people have received the gospel gladly. They've been saved. They've been brought into the kingdom. Others have rejected it fairly strongly. We've heard very directly, and it's going to come to pass later in this passage, that those in, when they were in Iconium, they heard that there was a plot afoot, this is earlier in chapter 14, a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and to stone them. But they found out about it and fled to Lystra and Derby. They've had a divided reaction, and yet here we see something a bit different. We've heard so far many believed and others challenged or stirred up the crowds or plotted against them. Well, here in Lystra we see the Lystrans see what have happened. They see the miracle, and what's their response? The gods have come. Paul and Barnabas, you are the gods. Come down to us a very different wrong response you see the the people of Lystra the response is to worship but not to worship God but to worship Paul and Barnabas 
They understood that something incredible has happened and yet they miss who it is who has done it. Who it is, who is the God who we should worship above all things. And their reaction is to believe that Paul and Barnabas are the gods come down. The gods who they were aware of. They think of, they've got a temple of Zeus just outside the city. They think, well, maybe Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes. Let's worship them. Let's, this miracle's happened. It must be that these are the guys who, are, who we should worship. And as we read that, perhaps it sounds a bit alien to us. We don't really, we don't really get the idea of this person could actually be a god. This is what it is. Maybe Zeus and Hermes have come. Maybe we've learned a bit about Zeus and Hermes at school. I don't know. It seems a bit alien. The idea that people in that way would be idolised called gods and yet as we look around our culture today the idea of idolizing of putting people on a pedestal the idea of celebrity is massive it's huge the idea of wow look at what you did now i'm going to follow you wow look at what you did there oh i'm going to shower all my praise on you it's not such an alien concept I need to get all their records. I need to make sure I've got all their posters. I've got to get to all their gigs. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not wrong to go to a gig. It's not wrong to buy some music. But because of that and that and that, this, wow, they're, 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 you'll hear people say it. They're my idol. Celebrity culture is a huge thing in the world around us. The massive glamorization of celebrities, whether it be football players, musicians, or even social media influencers, means that out there in the world around us today, there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of effective gods that are worshipped. Through the media, through the internet, through so many different means of being able to communicate so quickly these days, gives us such easy access to so many people. The people can be raised up as a big name, a famous name, someone to follow, someone to, to look at and adore. Perhaps you could say, oh, well, yeah, of course, Rich, that's true, but that's out there, isn't it? And yet so easily it can creep and does creep into the church. Perhaps people are not flocking like the Lystrans to Paul and Barnabas. Oh, you are the gods come down in human form. But it's so easy for that celebrity culture of the world around us to creep in. To have us flocking to high profile ministries. To create in us an idea, well, 
it's that person I need advice from. I, it's, it's only them, or, or that's the one who I can receive prayer from, because look, that's, you can see who they are. Which can cause us very slowly, or even fairly quickly, to drift from looking to God, but to looking to a person, or to a ministry, or to a, an organisation. This is where I put my trust. Paul touches on this a little bit in 1 Corinthians 1 when he's talking about the divisions that are in the church in Corinth. And it has a bit of a flavour of this that people have decided, oh, no, no, well, well, I follow Paul. Well, no, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Cephas or maybe one of the other apostles. And you can see there how it creates division. Well, I'm going to... I think Paul said something slightly different to that, and that he, he's, got, he's got all the truth that I need. Well, I think Apollos said this, and actually he's a, bit, he's a bit more impressive than Paul. And this division comes. But ultimately, they're putting their trust in a human speaker, in Paul, in Apollos, in Cephas. And Paul says to them, no, we're all just servants of God's. We're all servants of the living God. I, I planted Apollos waters, but God brings the growth. It's God who is doing it. God who is at work. God who we need to trust. Perhaps it would be easier in the modern world to say, perhaps I follow John Piper, or I follow Terry Virgo. Or reflecting on the very sad death of Tim Keller this week, I follow Tim Keller. Or Vody Borkham or Mark Driscoll, or I follow the music of Bethel or of Hillsong or of whoever it might be. People who by nature of the world that we're living have massive platforms. I'm not criticising anything that they're doing. But that's the situation that we find ourselves in the world, that we can drift that's who I follow. There's so much good online content, so many good books, so much good stuff that is tools and help to us. But how easy is it to become, to drift into saying, I better just go and check so-and-so on that. That's what I really need to hear. When what we really need to hear is God. And so much contemporary Christian worship music can revolve around the image of massive professional bands with huge production values. Again, I'm not questioning them and their motives. But we can see how easily the culture around us of the rock concert or of the, the big band can creep in. It's so easy for people to be raised on pedestals. A person to follow. This is the person to give some of the glory to, rather than to God. Raised up, and then equally with the potential to fall or to be torn down. And even as we look at this idea of celebrity culture, we could speak of or we could call to mind many high-profile failings 
Stuff that's so sad, so disappointing, we can... You can see the story of Ravi Zacharias and the situation there. We look on the news recently into the investigation into Mike Pilavachi. And we can point and think, how sad, how disappointing, how heartbreaking, how, oh, what actually is going on there? Even hearing of the sad passing of Tim Keller this week. To remember, yes, a wonderful speaker, a great leader, a man of God, now gone. All of these things are stark evident in many different ways of what Paul says to the Lystrians. We're just men like you. We are just men like you. Fallible, sinful, mortal men. And even in the light of, particularly in the light of Tim Keller's death this week, there's a right sense of grief, a family who is mourning, a church who will be grieving. A huge sadness. But when we look at all these different things, can they in another way, wrongly rock our faith. Could we have accidentally had it creep in? At least I could trust them. At least I could look to them. At least that person I could look to and I could find security and hope. Security and hope that we can only find in God. We can only find in him. Whoever may be stood up on this platform, whoever you may listen to online, whoever you, whoever's books you may read, ultimately and fundamentally, our hope has to be in the living God. The living God who healed the man in Lystra, not Paul. The living God whose word was being proclaimed and whose word brings salvation that Paul was declaring. The living God who Tim Keller served so faithfully for so many years. The living God who was proclaimed so boldly by others who may have failed. When anything like this happens, a death, a failing, a, 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 something that's been uncovered, it should be unsettling. But our faith has to be in the God who we can trust. Not in the men and women who serve him. It's easy to be drawn in subtly to this culture. I'm going to ask a very genuine question, but it'll be rhetorical for now. Why do we applaud sometimes? Sometimes in worship, sometimes when we welcome someone to the stage, Sometimes when we're celebrating a birthday. Well, I hope and I presume that in worship we're applauding the Lord. We're using it as part of our worship. And at other moments, we are celebrating with Lynn and embarrassing her. And yes, we are being welcoming and encouraging. 
in none of those moments are we congratulating the band on a polished performance that we enjoyed listening to. Or welcoming the preacher as the next entertainment act, because you'll probably be disappointed. When it's me, that is. I'm not saying it about anyone else. We can welcome, we should encourage, and we are called to worship in every way, with all of our bodies, with all of ourselves. And make it clear, we can use applause. But I want us to beware how easy it is for any sense to slip in that we're here for a performance, for entertainment, that we're here to listen to what's happening from the stage because we can see similar paraphernalia. There is a stage. We've got microphone. I've got a microphone on my head. Where do you see that anywhere else? Well, it's a rock concert or a comedy show or something. We've got speakers. We've got all these things. They're tools to help us. But none of this points to the fact that this is not a performance. That sentence didn't make sense. It could point to this being a performance, but it isn't. We're not here to perform or to entertain. We're not here to come and see, hear a preacher or a band, but to meet with God as his people, as his body, and to hear from his word, to hear him speaking to us. Whoever might be used in that Let me make it clear, I'm not here to entertain you or even to provide an interesting talk. But I hope to point to Jesus. If we flip it round to those who find themselves in any kind of position. Herod's story a couple of chapters before gives a sobering warn sober warning to leaders of allowing this idolatry to happen as he laps up or just ignores the worship, God strikes him down. You see, the Lystrans' action may look very alien to us, but this is a very big danger in this day and age, that the glory would go to people rather than to God. It's so massive in the culture around us. There's such a temptation to give glory to people, and it's so tempting to receive it or to desire it. That things become about my position, my reputation, my gift, my role. Rather than God's plan, his word, his glory, his people. As a quick aside, the Lystrans' worship is badly misdirected and... They really think they know best. Just pick up on the fact that Paul and Barnabas plead with them. We'll come to that in a minute. But in verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Let me encourage us all. Let's not be so self-assured thinking we know best that we can't hear good advice 
from the Word of God. Be easy to come to that place of, no, 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 you don't understand that I've heard from God. He says it's okay, I'm decided. I plead with you, don't become close to hearing your brothers and sisters, particularly when they're pointing you to the Word and showing you this is what it says, this is what's true. Don't go there. Or let's keep talking about it. Don't say that you've made up your mind. Okay, an amazing miracle-working God, badly misdirected worship, but we see a correct reaction from humble men. I think I initially called that correct correction from humble men. But Paul and Barnabas react, and it's a pretty definite reaction. They rush out, they tear their clothes, they are shouting, stop this, don't do this. I give a very clear sense, this is serious, this is urgent, this is important. When they heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they go on. Guys, what are you doing? We're only human. We're just messengers. We're just like you. It's not about us. This is the point. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is and it must be about him. It must be about God and his mission. It must be about God being glorified, about him receiving all the honour. It's got to be about his plan the lost being saved, the sick being healed, the oppressed being freed, good news being proclaimed to the poor. If it becomes about anything else, stop. So it can so easily become drift to being about something else, about us. about the job I'm doing or I'm not able to do, about the position I've got or the position I want. It has to be about him. In all we do, in life, in work, in family, in church, all the glory belongs to him. He's the one who makes it happen. He's the one who leads us on. He's the one who is in control. In church life at the moment, in, in our sites as we're developing them. We have used and we can hear this phrase rightly. It's an opportunity to release more people into their giftings and into new roles. We can go back to words from, I remember Gary Gallant coming here and standing on the front and talking about there being too many leaders in the room. I think Mark Rushworth many years ago talked about well, someone talked about going from being one father to many fathers. There is a releasing. It may happen, it will happen. It's a massive part of what's going on. But remember, it's not about us. 
Releasing more people into their giftings and into roles or into new roles that we've already got roles or whatever is not the point. It's not the purpose. It's not what we're about. It's not a means to have our dreams fulfilled or our gifts recognised. It's not a place for any of us to be recognised or to be more popular or for City Church to get a bigger name and to be seen and to be valued. Paul and Barnabas rush into the crowd and effectively say, stop it, it's not about me. All of us. If we're in Christ, we're called to follow God by faith. We see in Hebrews 11 what that can look like. Hebrews 11 can be so helpful in just thinking, recognising faith. We see so much that happens, so many amazing things happen by faith. By faith they conquered kingdoms, by faith they did this, by faith they saw people raised from the dead, by faith people were healed. And then in verse 35 things turn. The writer's just said women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then he says this, there were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. What does it say? The world was not worthy of them. By faith. By faith. By faith, it's not about having all our dreams fulfilled, but following our king wherever he leads us. See, Paul and Barnabas react very strongly and decisively. No, stop this. Don't go there. Not even a hint of this. Because they know that it's all about Jesus. They know, and this is where we'll land, that we're called to, this is the bonus D, we're called to die to ourselves. Paul writes in Galatians 2. In Galatians 2 and verse 20. We'll start in verse 19. For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I've been crucified with him. I no longer live, but he lives in me. My desires, my plans, anything of me, what of me? It's all about the king. He's the king. Look at the king. It's not about me, it's about him. We see it here in Lystra. It's not about us. Give all the glory to God. We're living for him. To the point which we could easily overlook, to the point of being stoned 
to death or nearly to death. Paul and Barnabas get it. And the reality is in our lives we will all be dealing with situations, whether that's through having a particular role, a position, a responsibility or whatever. As we live our lives, we are called to give him all the glory. For others, there may be desires that have not yet been fulfilled. Perhaps within the church, a desire to lead or to preach or to have some kind of recognition of gifting. Perhaps in church, perhaps in your workplace. Maybe desires for marriage or for a family. You may have a great desire for healing. Or again, back in your workplace, a desire for promotion or to, for career or for your role. Well, you may or you may not get it. But this is what we have. We have Christ and all that he has won for us. His call is to die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow. As we read in Luke chapter 9. You see, the Lystrans want to make it about Paul and Barnabas, but Paul and Barnabas get it. It's not about us. Don't worship us. Fix your eyes on him. Because they've died to themselves and they're living for him. And the reality is this is abundant life. This is life in all its fullness. This is where we find true fulfillment in Christ. In Christ. So as we move forward, each of us individually and as a church, this is the call. And this is where we find life. I've laid down my desires, my wants, my plans, and he is in charge and leading me on. I'm going to close reflecting on, uh, I've seen, again, as has been in the news and as the reality has been sinking in for people, different uh, tributes and things to Tim Keller. But I was struck by a video I saw that John Piper made. It popped up on my Facebook feed. And he felt the thing he needed to do in the light of Tim Keller's death was to reflect on their last email exchange. Which effectively was Tim Keller and John Piper reflecting on Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Reflecting that Martin Lloyd-Jones had taken great comfort in this as he approached death. And recognising that this is what it's all about. Because in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, the 72 have come back. They're massively excited that the demons are even submitting to, to us in your name. They've seen great success, and yet this is what Jesus says to them. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And John Piper said, what I think Tim Keller would want me to say in the light of his death, is effectively, if you're serving... Yes, go for it. If you've got something to do, go for it. Do, do all your exegesis. 
do all your, your assessing of culture. Preach the gospel. Do what you're called to do. Do what, you've been put, what has been put before you. But ultimately remember this. Whatever is in front of you, whatever has been given for you to do, this is where you find hope. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Whether you see great opportunity in front of you, whether you feel it's being kept from you, whether you've got a platform or you've not got one, this is the truth. If you're in Christ, your name is written in heaven and that is where you find hope. Amen.